0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Little Oracles podcast, an oracle for the everyday creative. I'm Allison Arth. So as you might remember from episode three, I am currently in my lazy era. I'm trying to give myself ample time and space and also grace to engage with creative inputs and outputs rather than, you know, racing to finish a huge to-do list or Reading list or what have you. And in this era, I've been thinking a lot about scale, specifically creative scale, and how that fits into my theory of creative ebb and creative flow. And if you listened to the last episode, the mini-sode of little book reviews, you know that I'm adding these like dotted rhythms to the Little Oracles podcast to use a musical analogy here and to play a bit with the multiple meanings embedded in the word scale, actually, ha ha. And if music isn't your thing, maybe it's more like I'm adding M dashes to the podcast. I don't know, maybe I should just say that I'm adding minisodes into the mix. They'll run the gamut in terms of content, anything from my little reviews of books, maybe some of my own writing, we'll see. And other creative bits and bobs, Current inspo, smaller projects, maker shout outs, whatever feels fun and fresh and exciting and whatever I can make into a short and sweet, sassy little somebody in 10 minutes or fewer. So as you might imagine, as I'm putting those together, I'm just immersed in all these ideas and thoughts and bolts from the proverbial blue. My brain is like this living synapsing Pinterest board. And so given my proclivities toward theming and synthesis, I wanted to create some kind of armature or framework, or I don't know, beautiful, organic hand turned Burlwood bowl in which to nestle all of my disparate but nonetheless, united by virtue of their connectivity in my mind, all these thoughts. And so here we are together about to hold hands and jump into the creative chaos. That was possibly one of the most chaotic sentences I've ever uttered in my life. (laughs) So one of the things that got me thinking about this as a podcast episode rapper is this line from Rebecca Solnit's Men Explain Things to Me. So she writes, the ways creative work gets done are always unpredictable, demanding room to roam, refusing schedules and systems. They cannot be reduced to replicable formulas. And that really resonates with me, because let me tell you, I've tried the writing routine, and I've read the tips and the tricks, and I've listened to the talks and the podcasts about operationalizing my creative output. And yeah, I get that those hacks and those you know, processual tracks toward making, they do work for some people, but they aren't universal by any means. And they're certainly not functional for me. Because I personally, I have trouble enacting routines around my creativity. And I used to think it was because I would get bored, or I didn't want the routine telling me what to do. Like I'm this petulant little goblin child in my you're not the boss of me phase you know what I mean and I don't want to set a timer and like write for 30 minutes every morning at 10 a.m regardless of what I'm writing just to do the act of writing just to perform the task that feels somehow way too pressurized and too rote which I guess it is because it's like literally it's a routine but as I examined that reluctance and even Reprehension toward routines around creativity, I realized it was something more that was keeping me from enacting them. They're just too binary for me. So let me just unpack that a little and maybe this will sound familiar or ring true for you too, a routine as a tool, and that's the sense we're talking about in this case, a routine as a tool in service to accomplishing something specific. The routine is the tool that gets you the results you want. You want to write the poem, you want to paint the landscape, you want to prep the dinner. And if the thing, the poem, the landscape, the dinner is the end game, the thing that is desired, the thing that is the correct result, and the routine is the action by which you get to that desired and correct result, then by the slightly slanted transitive property, the routine is the correct action. In this case, it's inherently, if not intrinsically good, right? Poem is good. Get poem through routine. Routine is good. Do you see what I'm saying here? So if enacting the routine is the correct thing, the right thing, then what is not enacting the routine? If the routine is yes, the absence of the routine must be no. Did, didn't. Complete, incomplete. Good, bad. It sets up a false binary. And what's worse, it gives a binary that is dichotomous, where the routine is aligned with the good thing, the correct result, the success, and the non routine is aligned with the bad thing, the lack of result, the failure. And maybe I'm just projecting my own issues onto routines here. But I don't think I'm alone in this. I mean, like, am I? Let me know. Tell me if I am, but certainly creating routine based dichotomies that we hang our time on as creatives and thinkers and people who like to build things and make things, or these routines that are kind of the fulcra of whether we feel accomplished or satisfied or just content at the end of the day, that isn't implicitly good, right? And of course, I know that some folks get tremendous benefits from routines they can be really useful tools across neurodiversities and i'm definitely not dogging routines in that way i do believe routines can be safe making or comforting or they can be pathways to action or participation or a feeling of solidity and in those modes routines are awesome we love them and You know, similarly, I do believe that doing creative things regularly keeps those muscles, so to speak, strong and ready to go. And that you can atrophy in certain ways if you don't like use your instrument. And I'm not talking just about music here. Your instrument could be your writing skills or your paintbrush or your power tools or whatever. Your skills can get a little loose over time if you don't use them. But I think people often construe those physical skills of making with the ability to create, or even the identity of creator. As in, if I don't practice my ukulele for a year, this is from personal experience, I've lost the spark I needed to make music or worse, I've forfeited the right, as it were, to call myself a musician. So in a way, the operationalizing of creativity to generate output can have an adverse effect it can you know when you quote unquote fail to complete the routine it can create this space for negativity to creep in and tell you all kinds of nasty things like you're losing ground on your brushwork or your ideas are suffering or you're not an artist if you haven't painted in three weeks or whatever and I definitely I fall prey to this I fall into this pattern of negative self-talk, I get into the doldrums, and, you know, like I talked about in Episode 3, I start to put all kinds of creative pressure on myself as a defense mechanism. I start making lists, on lists, on lists, and I get caught up doing the most with this frenzied, like, rabid old yeller energy, (laughs) and I tell myself I'm not doing enough, or my ability to write a good short story or poem is withering on the vine. But as the amazing Zach Reno from the Off Book podcast and Play It By Ear on Dropout TV, these are both improv musical shows that are utterly mind-blowing, especially if you, like me, oscillate at the frequency of Broadway. So as Zach Reno often says when he hears someone engage in that kind of self-directed negativity, he says, don't talk about my friend that way. And I love that. It's so cute. You know, you'd never say something so callous and absolutist to a friend, right? So why are you saying it to yourself? And this is pretty basic negative self-talk, de-escalation, and diffusion technique, right? But I think about it. I do. I think about it so often when I'm being this mean little dump truck to myself. Like, angrily pouring mud and gravel all over me because I watched an episode of the Golden Girls instead of writing a blog post. Creativity ebbs and creativity floats, right? Like we figured this out in a previous episode, but it's going to take a while to sink in, I guess. So to tie this back to the idea of routines as tools to sustain and cultivate creativity, I got a hot take for you. Okay? Routines dichotomies, binaries, negative self-talk, they are all out. And what's in are rituals, spectra, fluidity, and negative capability. We're taking Rebecca Solnit's Room to Rome*, and we're setting a stage. We're smudging the space. We're taking the time. We're talking about creative ripples and creative tides. We're talking about living in mystery and awe and uncertainty and the sublime. We're talking about creative bricolage, creative decoupage, creative collage. We're talking about rainbows, baby, and all those beautiful colors. So lest you think I just threw a word salad at you, I'm going to open this gift box for you and talk about rituals. I'm going to talk about spectra, fluidity, and that little butterfly that is negative capability. All right. So what are rituals as opposed to routines, you might ask? Well, for me, I would posit that a creative ritual is less concerned with the plot, if you will. So it isn't bounded by numbers or logistics, like timers or word counts or aggregated output, like I'm going to write three chapters, that kind of a thing. Rituals live in the world of setting and feeling and headspace. So in my world, that means I'm fed, I'm dressed in something other than what I slept in. I'm hydrated and hydrating. I've probably written some thoughts in my little book or my notes app. I probably have a coffee with honey syrup in it. I've snuggled my cats a little bit already during the day. I'm listening to music or an audiobook if I'm not writing, and nothing if I am writing. I sometimes like light a candle. But do you see what I'm describing here? It's not about a checklist and a time frame, it's about the scene and the experience. It's about the transcendental in a way. And this vantage of ritual rather than routine has definitely helped me synthesize or cross pollinate even more when I'm being creative and when I'm making things. And it's mainly because I'm not scheduling a certain activity or output for a certain time. And so I can be much more fluid and embrace the spectrum of ideas more frequently and more fully. And it's really given me the latitude to live more in those in-betweens and overlaps and undefineds, which in turn leads me to negative capability. So if you're not familiar with the concept of negative capability, here's the primer. It's originally an approach to aesthetics and artistry, brought to us by the poet john keats you know the ode on a grecian urn guy the beauty is truth truth beauty guy and it's concerned with living with and thriving in the uncertainties and the mysteries associated with artistic expression and with observing and relaying human experience in all its sublimity without reducing it to component parts or processes and over the years it's been reinterpreted by social philosophers and artists and even industrialists and inventors. And for me, it's a hugely valuable philosophy to approaching any creative endeavor because it chooses vitality and immediacy and mystery over more removed and empirical approaches to assessing and representing experience and expressing it in creative ways and formats. So it really opens new opportunities to uncover the gems, where we can find them not where we're forcing ourselves to look when we're mechanized by a specific routine. So that isn't to say that the scientific or the technological can't guide or inspire work, it totally can. It does for me, all the time. I'm simply offering an alternative To that approach when entering creative work to brainstorming, sketching, free writing, or sampling. In a way, in my mind, it's like living in creative chaos, but not in a pejorative sense. It's more like in that sense of bricolage or decoupage or collage, like I said earlier. It's genre crossing, it's mind opening, It's queering and blurring and transcending systemics. And it's been so freeing for me to give myself the space to draw those connections and pull those threads together. So in the spirit of that creative chaos and letting our creativity roam, here are a few things that are inspiring me, my own little oracles, and maybe they'll spark something for you too, as you explore new approaches to living your best creative life. So three things for you. First, and hilariously, this is straight up science. So yeah, living in mystery doesn't necessarily apply all the way here. But I've been trying to write a poem about this for about a year, honestly. And maybe speaking it out loud will finally unblock the dam on this one for me. So let me tell you something about holly, like the spiky plant. So holly exhibits phenotypic plasticity as a defense against predatory herbivores. And I'll link an article about this in the description because it's totally eye-popping stuff. But what that means is that the plant itself alters its DNA chemically but not structurally to make some leaves spiky, usually the ones near the bottom of the plant where these leaf-eating animals can reach. And some of the leaves remain smooth. So it's called... Heterophily, and it's so fascinating to me. And the thing I'm trying to link it to in my work is trauma response or mental and emotional scarring, in the sense that the fundament is the same, but the components are different after the trauma has been enacted. So, kind of like a ship of Theseus thing. (laughs) So, this article from Science Daily has been living in my head rent free for eons, it seems like. And now it's my gift to you. So, do with that, what you will. Second, and this is current events related, so who knows how well this will age, but I can't stop thinking about Harry Styles serving 1970s Harlequin farmhand in those Egon Lab by Swarovski overalls at the Grammys this year. I mean, huge serve. This man is known for his jumpsuits. And for me, this might be the pinnacle. Now I loved them, but I'm for reasons I can't explain disposed to love everything Harold does. But these made me think back on Jennifer Lopez's Grammy's dress from 2000. Remember that ultra low cut jungle print chiffon Versace? It was the alpha and the omega for me. (laughs) And it also made me think of the disco ball dress that YouTuber Rachel Maxi made earlier this year and I'll link that video in the description as well basically it's just got me thinking about reflection and refraction and prisms and light and rainbows and rainbows are 100% good 10 out of 10 always welcome no notes and third and finally this quote from poet Saeed Jones from his interview on the New Yorker Poetry Podcast in I believe October last year he said I think any good poem worth its salt is a spell because it acts upon you. I'm not going to unearth that one for you. I'm just going to leave it here on the threshold of your mind. And you can float away on it or close it up in your favorite little locket, or you can just let it lift off like a dandelion seed on the wind. And after you've done that, go find a poem you love or one you've never read and see what spells it can cast on you. And just like that, we've come to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for being here. I do invite you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss another episode. And I've got more mini-sodes coming, some conversations with some wonderful, incredible, creative people in the works. So you'll want to be tuned in for that. Follow along on the blog at littleoracles.com or on Instagram at littleoracles.com. For more big book energy and creativity content. And definitely DM me on Instagram if you want to join the Discord. And, as always, take care, keep creating, and stay divine. But they Excuse me, sir. Oh, uh-huh. Sir...